Daily Drive is brought to you by eBay Motors. Auto dealers, are you missing the most engaged buyers because you don't know where to find them? At eBay Motors, you'll find buyers so motivated, they purchase a car or truck once every three minutes. Just call 866-210-5362 and mention code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Hi everyone, this is Steve Smith with Automotive News. Welcome to Daily Drive for Wednesday, July 7th. The global semiconductor shortage has once again exposed vulnerabilities in the automotive supply chain. It's really nothing different than prior supply chain disruptions, but unless companies working in this industry take heed and implement improvements, it's bound to happen again, say QAD's Terry Onika and Quistem president and founder Kathy Fisher. The two have recently authored Delivering on the Promise of Delivery, Preventing Future Auto Supply Chain Disruptions, part one in a two-part ebook series that delves into delivery issues and how late or missed deliveries can impact production and suppliers' performance scorecards. In fact, so much so, says Fisher, that tier one suppliers identified as red status under the International Automotive Task Force's Red Supplier Status Program are being flagged as red for delivery issues as often as they are for quality concerns. Onika says there tend to be three root causes of poor delivery, lack of supply chain standards, lack of tools and training, and low adoption of automation and advanced technologies. Particularly interesting when only 22% of respondents in a recent automotive news survey on navigating the chip shortage say they are implementing technologies that would create earlier warning signs of potential supply chain disruption. The two authors have also outlined a five-step roadmap for improving supply chain performance, which includes 24 supply chain processes they say can help deliver on the promise of delivery. What are those five steps? How likely is it that supply chain disruption will happen again as the industry pushes towards EVs? And what advice do they offer for working with suppliers that serve multiple industries, like microchip manufacturers? We've caught up with Terry Onika, Director of Automotive at QAD, and Kathy Fisher, President and Founder of Quistem, to talk about what automotive companies can do to avoid future supply chain disruption. Kathy and Terry, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for having us. We've got a very exciting topic today. Supply chain continues to make a lot of headlines. So, Kathy, let's start with you. Is this chip shortage different than other recent supply chain disruptions that we've seen? When we look at this current semiconductor shortage, what we recognize is that the catalyst for the semiconductor shortage is indeed unique because it was prompted by the COVID pandemic, and that's clearly a global um, impact. However, when we look to the root causes of the semiconductor shortage, it's really the same root causes that we've been seeing over and over again in terms of other disruptions that have impacted the automotive supply chain. And in fact, when the semiconductor shortage was first emerging late last year, Terry and I said to each other, didn't we just go through this about a decade ago? So the sad thing is we've not really learned our lessons from an automotive industry standpoint, being able to overcome these uh, supply chain disruptions. And hopefully this time we will learn our lessons and make our systems a lot stronger. Terry, can you add your perspective around the chip shortage and how perhaps it's somewhat similar and maybe a little bit different than other disruptions? 
I really believe it's not unique at all, just like Kathy. And again, we should have learned from our lessons in the past, and here's why. We're an industry. We know how to scramble as fast as we can to get parts out the door. I used to work at a tier one supplier. However, our efforts to get things out the door, we forget to apply lessons learned. And like Kathy said, when this happened in 2009, we failed to go back and understand the importance of lead times, ensuring there was enough forecast in the supply chain, and how we quickly get that information down the chain. Also, what's interesting is some OEMs set inventory policies like 22 weeks for the supply chain. But when I look at what happened here, I'm wondering who was really following up to make sure that that happened, because it shouldn't have um, it should have been mitigated better due to that fact we were monitoring the inventory policies. And I want to just say as a side, I know companies will say they don't trust the OEM forecast, but if you don't have a good ERP or scenario planning tools to highlight these changes when they come in in the morning, it just makes matters worse in trying to detect that it happened and communicate them. Another issue that I see is the real lack of discipline. Um, Kathy and I both work out a lot with plants in keeping up supply chain processes and the documentation up to date. Now we add a workforce shortage, high turnover rates that we're experiencing now. Uh, the employees come in, there's nothing to help them to train the job effectively, so they have to revert back to manual processes and communication, and this just helps to you know, really make the problem even worse. And this is why Kathy and I felt it was so important to outline a plan on how to get organizations back to focusing on supply chain basics in our new ebooks, as well as in a couple blog articles we wrote. You both mentioned this industry has not learned its lesson. It appears not to have learned its lesson after a number of disruptions. I'm curious, and Terry, let's stick with you. When you're looking ahead at the EV supply chain, batteries in particular, if we don't apply these lessons learned, could the same thing happen? Yes, it we absolutely will, will happen if we don't take action this time. Semiconductors are really, the, uh, is only just one of many long lead time or critical components that you could have. There is many other materials that we share across inventory, and COVID has really helped to show that every day in the media. So again, it's critical that we understand our lead times, our forecast information throughout the supply chain and get that information down quickly. You know, I've heard OEMs talking now that they are making an attempt to get to every member of the supply chain and have conversations. And just as an example, in my past career, when I worked at a seating supplier, we did a pilot project in the industry at the time with Ford Chrysler and GM. And as a supplier, we were only passing eight weeks of forecast down to our supply chain when the OEMs were giving us 22 to, I'm sorry, 26 to 52 weeks of forecast. And at the bottom of our supply chain, our supplier was screaming, it takes 16 weeks to grow cotton at the time. We can't, giving us eight weeks is lopping out visibility that we really need. And so once we started as a chain um, implementing the technologies to automatically create the forecast, pass it down, we actually found that we the information was taking four weeks to get to the lower tiers and we could actually get it to four days. Imagine in the industry today when the with the semiconductors, as soon as the OEMs realized it was going to go back up, if we could have communicated that information down much more effectively and efficiently. And, and, you know, at, a lot of times we talk about the lower tier suppliers and investing in technology. And in this project, they absolutely said it was worth it because they mitigated unplanned changeover, premium freight, just in case the inventory are having too much or too little inventory as a part of this process. 
You both just authored a book called Delivering on the Promise of Delivery, Preventing Future Auto Supply Chain Disruptions. Kathy, one of the themes in your book was around suppliers being identified as red status um, and also as a result of they were identified as red status as much on delivery issues as they were on quality issues. Can you tell us about the red supplier status program and what this analysis reveals? Yeah, absolutely. The Red Supplier Status Program is an initiative that was started in early 2019 by the um, International Automotive Oversight Bureau, which is a regional office of the IATF, International Automotive Task Force. And essentially, the premise behind this initiative was recognizing that when the all automotive OEMs require their tier one suppliers to maintain certification of their quality management systems to the IETF 169.49 standard, that should mean that that supplier is capable of meeting the customer's requirements consistently and therefore should have a green scorecard. Unfortunately, what the OEMs have been experiencing uh, even since the rollout of IETF 169.49 back in 2016 is that many of their tier one suppliers are found in red status, which means they're not meeting their customers' requirements. And surprisingly, even before COVID hit, we were seeing a trend towards a number of tier one suppliers being delinquent in service part deliveries, which was causing a red supplier status for them. Certainly as we were emerging or restarting from COVID uh, shutdown, we also recognized uh, that suppliers were gonna struggle in terms of their delivery performance as well as potentially quality. Fortunately, we did great in terms of bouncing back from a quality standpoint, but the delivery issues just got worse and worse. And especially as the semiconductor crisis started to emerge, we saw more and more tier one suppliers going into red supplier status because of their customer scorecards. And in many cases, as a result of their delivery performance itself. Um, one of the key things to keep in mind is that certainly an organization's <clears throat> management systems for doing business should directly relate to their performance results relative to their customers' requirements for quality, on-time delivery, uh, launch readiness, and that as well. And one of the things that is really making Terry and I quite nervous about this current semiconductor crisis is that even though it's right now creating delivery issues, we anticipate that in the future there could also be quality issues because we're finding that some organizations are um, using alternative sources that may not have been completely qualified or validated. And then we're also seeing changes that are happening in the production lines to accommodate the allocation of the limited number of semiconductors. And we really are promoting through the work that we're doing with this um, delivering on the promise of delivery, this concept that quality and supply chain are completely interconnected. They're interdependent. And when you have quality issues, it's oftentimes going to also turn into delivery issues. And likewise, delivery issues sometimes can also lead to quality issues as well. There is so much exciting stuff to unpack there. So a <laughs> couple of follow-up questions, specifically around what I will call maybe a calculus from the one side of the equation is keep pushing product out the line because we have these plants and the resources and all of these things operating except for this one critical component or do we shut the whole thing down for a quality uh, for the quality point of view 
then shutting down everything else, right? Creating other supply. How do you balance that kind of equation that says, I have a critical component. I'm not sure that I'm right. I have to figure out a way to get this critical component, maybe from an alternative source, but I know there could be warranty recall quality issues down the line. How do you balance that equation? It really comes to using your systems, especially from the standpoint of risk management. So recognizing what are the potential risks that are associated with taking those alternative sources, maybe shortcutting validation, and also making sure that we're using our systems internally as we make changes to our production processes to accommodate these shortages so that we have the traceability of these changes that have been made to the vehicle architecture um, with different semiconductors. So it comes back to risk management and really using your systems. And this is why we're so um, so much emphasizing the importance of developing those supply chain systems the essential processes to ensure that the organizations can deliver as well as meeting quality requirements. Terry, in your book, you also outline some root causes for poor delivery. What are those? So first of all, what I want to share, when it comes to performance, supplier support scorecards, um, as we go through tier one and below, um, they're either non-existent, so we're not even rating the suppliers, or when we do, we find that they're uh, typically focused about 90% on quality and launch and only about 10% on delivery. So to us, this poor delivery and supply chain performance is not surprising at all because we're not putting enough weighting on it throughout the supply chain when we actually look at performance. In our research, we identified three systematic root causes behind poor delivery performance. It was a lack of supply chain process standards, a lack of supply chain competencies, tools, and training, and the low adoption of automation and advanced technology. So it's all back to people, processes, and technology. For the first two root causes, first process standards and competencies, tools, and training, the industry has already done a lot of work in establishing supply chain standards. There is a supply chain best practice standard called the MMOGLE, which stands for the Materials Guideline, um, Operations Guideline and Logistics Evaluation. Um, this actually came out of that project that I talked about earlier when we studied the supply chain. We actually took time to document those best practices. Um, and we also have the IETF 16949 quality standards. Uh, but what we find was some OEMs require the MMOGLE standard. There are several OEMs that do not, and it's not been adopted at each tier like IATF 16949 is for quality. Um, when you say IATF 16949, most everybody knows what it is. But when you say MMOGLE, there's only a small subset of the industry that, that understands it. So again, we see this lack of focus on supply chain, and that's really, again, the problem. We need suppliers at all level of the supply chain to utilize these resources to ensure supply chain performance excellence. Um, also, AIAG, um, I'm a member of the steering committee there. That's the Automotive Industry Action Group. And as a member, we're currently focusing on one of our strategies on all this risk going on in the industry. We're looking at the development of tools and training um, that needs to be is necessary to support supply chain competencies. We have a lot of this, again, on the quality side. But when you look out, how do we train all these new workforce entrants, of which many don't have any background, where can they go to do that? 
And then last but not least, as far as automation, we see good automation between OEM and tier one, but it really drops off after tier two. And I would even say that there's still a lot of spreadsheets being used at the tier one. And I often even hear tier one saying they see the OEMs use them as well. So I think we have more um, to work to do in that area as well, as Kathy said. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back with more. The most motivated car buyers aren't knocking on your door anymore. They're online. But you don't have to look far. You can find them at eBay Motors. Our platform features over 7 million engaged users. Our buyers are so engaged, they enter over 3 billion search impressions per month and buy a car or truck every 3 minutes. Today's car buyer has high expectations when they browse online eBay Motors helps you meet those expectations. Use machine learning with our AI-driven vehicle pages, and you'll automatically optimize your buyer's experience. It's as easy as listing your inventory and watching as the most engaged buyers find you. If you've ever uploaded your automotive inventory to a website, you have more than enough skills to get your cars listed on eBay Motors. It will feel like you're setting up an entirely new car dealership within minutes. Once you list your available inventory, you'll have additional support from the platform, including a single destination page for your entire brand. Want to generate more sales automatically? eBay Motors lets you choose between auction, classified, and fixed price listing options so the site does the heavy lifting. It even integrates with your existing dealer or vehicle management system. All you have to do is list your inventory, sit back, relax, watch a movie, and then check back in to see the sales you've made. How do you start? It's as simple as creating an account. Call 866-210-5362 and mention the code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Find out why selling cars has never been this easy. That number again, 866-210-5362. Well, it seems the industry, at least our readers and subscribers, agree with a lot of the things that you both are talking about. Kathy, going back to your point relative to quality concerns, cost concerns, we did a survey of our readers um, earlier this year on the chip shortage, and that was that was one theme that really emerged is that they were looking for alternate sources of supply for these chips to keep the production lines going, and they also had cost and quality and capability concerns. The other thing that was interesting, and Terry, I'd like your point of view on this, particularly with number three of your root causes of poor delivery is that only 22% of the respondents in that survey said they plan to invest in technology to create earlier warning signals for potential supply chain disruptions. That seems very interesting to me, particularly when we started this conversation that says this industry needs to learn its lessons from from past disruptions if it's not going to happen again. What's your view on this, this notion that very few people, at least the folks that responded to our survey, plan to invest in these technologies that are that can create these earlier warning signs of potential supply chain disruption? Yes, we were also surprised that it was only 22%. Um, we actually wondered, do the other 78% feel they've already solved this issue? And if they do, then why was the semiconductor issue, has it caused so much um, chaos in the supply chain? But what I really suspect is that the other 78% don't feel that they have the people who understand the processes because of all the, the turnover and churn we've had in the industry really since 2009. Um, that will allow them to effectively implement the technology so that they can be more predictive of supply chain disruptions. In other words, I really feel in, in the consulting that I'm doing out there in the industry that folks don't want to implement technology when they know they have potentially broken processes and they have a lot of new people 
on staff that don't necessarily understand that. And again, that's why we want to help give that guidance on how do we get everybody back to a supply chain organization and get that back on track and help people to, to, to have a plan on how to do that. So, Kathy, you both outline in your book five recommendations for improving supply chain performance. You actually describe it as a roadmap. Can you talk about those? Yes, absolutely. The five-step roadmap is really focused around encouraging the industry as a whole, as well as individual organizations, to adopt a supply chain focus in their organization. Traditionally, we find a lot of organizations tend to have a manufacturing focus and they don't give the attention to the supply chain. This five-step roadmap starts with the identification of essential supply chain processes. And there's 24 processes in particular that Terry and I have identified from our research that automotive manufacturers must have in place and working effectively in order to deliver on the promise of delivery. Secondly is the assessment of current supply chain competencies, and then thirdly, developing those competencies. And as Terry mentioned, there's been quite a bit of loss of uh, knowledge in the industry over the past 10 years in particular. And we need to make sure that we're building an understanding about these supply chain processes and making sure that there's next generation of supply chain professionals that can carry these processes forward within the automotive industry. Then fourthly, we want to encourage organizations to adopt much more of a supply chain focus in how they're operating their business. We like to say that money is not just made on the shop floor, it's also made in the supply chain. We think that's very important to recognize, especially today with the competition that's out there with um, online marketers and that. And then the fifth, of course, is automating and integrating the supply chain processes into the everyday business activities. And Terry shared with us some different tools that organizations really need to implement in order to ensure that they can effectively meet those customer requirements. It seems to me that the deeper you go into the supply chain, often suppliers get smaller and might not have the financial wherewithal to invest in these technologies. How do you create that connected supply chain if not everyone in this in the supply chain can can invest in that connectivity? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, you know, one of the things that we were focused around in the development of our five-step roadmap to address these delivery concerns was the identification of the 24 essential supply chain processes that every organization needs to put in place in order to be able to meet their customers' requirements from a demand standpoint. And technology is a tool that enables these processes to be performed on a consistent basis and actually controlled as well. Certainly, the investment in some systems can be very high, but as we look to the maturity, the sophistication of the automotive industry moving forward, especially with the technologies in EV and and, uh, autonomy, suppliers are going to need to be able to support those uh, rapid responses to customer demand, changes in customer demand, and be able to manage those processes from demand to delivery. And that's one of the things that in our work, we focus not just on supply chain from the purchasing or supplier uh, standpoint, but we're really looking from demand through delivery all the way through um, from you know raw materials rate to delivery of finished product vehicles to the consumers as well. And so it's interesting that in the past, 
some requirements in uh, predecessor quality management system standards like QS9000 actually required automotive suppliers at tier one at least to implement such technologies as EDI and um, advanced shipment notices. That was expected. And for some reason, we kind of moved away from that over the past several years. And there's really a need for suppliers within the automotive supply chain to have those tools, that um, that technology in place to support their automotive customers. Are there any tips that you could offer to our listeners working with suppliers or if you're a supplier who represent this emerging portfolio of companies that don't only source the automotive industry. You think about chips, you think about battery technology, you think about software, uh, a lot of the hardware that's going into vehicles these days. A lot of that is coming from suppliers who are not captive to OEMs. Are there tips, are there tricks, are there different ways to create supply chain management processes, tools with those organizations versus suppliers that are more captive to the automotive OEMs? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's about establishing the standards of expectation that the automotive industry needs in order to be able to meet consumer demand, because that's one of the big, let's say, uh, motivations behind the research that Terry and I have been involved in is recognizing what we call the Amazon effect, where people are getting conditioned to expecting delivery on everything, including vehicles, within two days. And that means that our back-end processes need to be able to respond just as quickly. So as we have done from the quality side and developing quality standards for the automotive industry over the past several decades, we also need to have those same standards established from the supply chain perspective. So especially new entrants into the automotive supply chain understand what's expected and they can put those processes in place, hopefully leveraging automation so that they can seamlessly support delivery to the OEM customers as well as to the consumers. As we look ahead to electrification, some companies are going to have to maintain supply chains that support both internal combustion engines as well as supply chains that support electric vehicles. How hard is it going to be and are there any risks, any pitfalls outside of what we've already talked about specific to this notion of of maintaining two different supply chains? So I'd like to just weigh in on that first. There's really two different considerations for the automotive supply chain as we look towards balancing um, internal combustion production alongside of the introduction of EV technology and even uh, uh, autonomous vehicle technology. First, it comes to the suppliers themselves. And what we are really considering now more of a supply ecosystem than just a supply chain. Traditionally, the automotive industry tends to look at the relationship with their suppliers as, you know, one step ahead is my customer, one step behind is my supplier. And we expect that the tier one suppliers are going to deploy customer requirements, the OEM requirements down the supply chain, but that's not always the reality. In the future, and actually the future is now, we really need to see um, the OEMs acting more in a coordination function among not just their traditional suppliers, but also these new entrants that are coming in to support unique technologies, um, and as well, some other aspects of the vehicle 
that are brand new, such as app development and software as a service that's being utilized within, um, especially the new EV platforms. So we see that there's one piece around how the automotive OEMs are managing the suppliers as an ecosystem going forward. And then there's also some real tactical considerations as we move towards uh, electric vehicles in terms of the physical logistics, which tends to be overlooked in many organizations, but it's equally as important because we're dealing with a whole different set of um, materials, uh, different um, transport, uh, pathways and different risks in terms of raw material supply as well. Terry, any perspectives from you? Yes, as I mentioned earlier, you know that's the beauty of using systems is you can bring these both these worlds together, and you don't want to keep them separate. You need to be looking at them both at the same time because that's the future of your business. That's where it's going, and so as I like I mentioned earlier. The solutions that I think are really important is, you know, a modern ERP, scenario planning, and supplier relationship management. These three aspects will really be critical in looking at your business moving forward and can be managed all through one system. Terry, Kathy, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. Where can our listeners learn more about your research and find your book? Well, we've recently published a ebook that's in two parts that can be downloaded from qad.com, their website. And we are also uh, putting out a couple of blogs specifically addressing what we find are the root causes behind the semiconductor shortage. And those are also available at qad.com. Thank you so much. Very timely topic. Very important for everybody uh, working in this industry. Appreciate you both joining me today on the show. Thank you. Thank you. That's Daily Drive for Wednesday, July 7th. As always, thanks for listening. I'll be back tomorrow with a conversation with Carla Bailu, president and CEO of the Center for Automotive Research. We'll talk about NHTSA's new crash reporting requirements and what's on tap for this year's Management Briefing Seminars Conference next month in Traverse City, Michigan. In the meantime, for breaking news, go to autonews.com. And to catch up on all of our episodes of Daily Drive, go to autonews.com forward slash Daily Drive. Make it a great day, everyone.